Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. When joke is my responsibility, it's the last thing I think of. And I look at the order of service and I'm like, oh, I've got to come up with something quick. Or Sunday morning has been the search for the joke often. So, well, good morning and, and welcome again to service. And it's good to be to be with you. As we turn to the, to the word today, our text for this morning is a passage that's often called the triumphal entry passage. Um, there's, there's different versions of it in different gospels, um, and today we're looking at uh, the gospel of Luke, uh, the focus of, of year C in the lecture. For the gospel readings, most of them come from the gospel of Luke. And so today uh, we're turning to Luke chapter 19. Uh, I'll be starting in verse 28 and reading through verse 40. So as you have your Bibles, you can open them to Luke chapter 19 or point, point your devices that direction if that's how you uh, read Scripture. Um, I'm blessed by all the different ways that Scripture can come to us these days, um, both, uh, both in paper and print and digitally as well. Um, as I read today out of reverence for the reading of God's Word, I ask that you, those who are willing and able, would you please stand? as we read the, read the scriptures together. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. After Jesus said this, he continued on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As Jesus came to Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he gave two disciples a task. He said, go into the village over there. When you enter it, you will find tied up there a colt that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? Just say, its master needs it. Those who had been sent found it exactly as he had said. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, its master needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their clothes on the colt, and lifted Jesus onto it. As Jesus rode along, they spread out their clothes on the road. As Jesus approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing. They praised God with a loud voice because of all the mighty things they had seen. They said, Blessed blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, scold your disciples. Tell them to stop. He answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would shout. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please have a seat. Well, today is Palm Sunday. Today is the day that we remember the celebration of Jesus. As he rode into Jerusalem 
for a final time. This is the party. This is the celebration. What are the things in our lives that we tend to celebrate? What are the things in our lives that we tend to celebrate? We, we in our household, like to celebrate kids' milestones or successes. We tend to celebrate accomplishments and awards. We celebrate the best and the brightest. I think of the one championship parade that the Seahawks got to celebrate many years ago. Probably won't ever come again. We celebrate these things, the big celebrations and big fanfare. Most recently, uh, I, I, I've been, I, I enjoy, I, I'll conf, this is confession time for me, I, I enjoy watching the, the Got Talent shows. Have you seen these? America's Got Talent, and there's, uh, there's all sorts of them now. Pick, pick a country, and apparently they've got talent, um, and, and they can market it and make a TV show out of it. Every once in a while on these Got Talent shows, someone surprises you. Someone surprises you. Some of you may, may remember this. I think back to Susan Boyle. Britain, okay, good. Um, this older lady walks out on stage, and, and you're thinking, mm, this could be interesting. I don't know what's going to happen here. Um, I don't remember what age she was at the time she walked out, but certainly older than, than the set of contestants that you normally see on these shows. Um, and she was a little cheeky in her interview leading up to her song. And then the music starts, and her voice starts, and she just rings out this beautiful song, I Dreamed a Dream. Um, and, and, and the judges were just amazed. Nowadays, uh, this wasn't present back then, but now they have the golden buzzer axe, right? One of the judges reaches over and hits the golden buzzer, and man, there's confetti, and the music changes, and lights go off, and cheering happens, and if they have any family that's with them, they come out and join them on stage. It's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. I love seeing celebrations, celebrations of talent for, for got talent shows, but celebrations are fun to be a part of. And it feels like this is that moment for Jesus. Palm Sunday feels like it's that moment for Jesus, that moment where he is recognized. Finally, he's recognized. He's given his due, the acclaim that he deserves, the worship that he deserves. He's lifted up and celebrated. Like someone hitting the golden buzzer for Jesus. All, all the people just show up and they, they surround him and they cheer for him, cutting branches from trees and waving them around. We have, this, we have this interesting setup to, to, to lead into this celebration about this cult where, where he goes and, and it's like grand theft cult, apparently, but someone, God had arranged it. Or, I read one commentator that said, obviously Jesus had been planning this entrance and so he had talked to the previous owners and this was set up and I thought that was interesting. There's another one that, that talks about how the word for master and the word for owner is the same thing as it's written in the Greek. And so when the, when the owners or the masters asked, why are you untying the colt? The response was, its owner or its master needs the colt. Talking about how Jesus is master over all of creation. 
Regardless, the cult gets to Jesus and, and the celebration and the honoring of Jesus finally begins. People begin taking off their, their garments of clothing and first laying them on top of the colt to soften the seed. And then, then clothes were laid down in front of the journey, in front of this procession, in front of the path that would lead down the Mount of Olives and drop into Jerusalem. And he is the celebrated hero. He's the one that's lifted up. He's the one exalted in this moment. And the Pharisees, the, the religious people, the people who, who, who had the law memorized and sought every day to follow it, and were known to be close to God. Some of them were in the crowd, and some of them were the ones that say, shouldn't, shouldn't people stop? Isn't this, this is getting a little out of hand. Tell your people to, to pipe down, Jesus. This isn't right. Jesus doesn't, doesn't reprimand the, the partiers, those celebrating, um, and says even, even the rocks would cry out if they weren't, because this time was the time for Jesus to be celebrated. When we read this passage, and when we read it, especially when we read it kind of all by itself, it all seems a little sudden. It all seems like out of the blue. Jesus arrived and Jesus was there and, and we're just going to celebrate this. But in reality, as you read through the Gospel of Luke, it's not all that abrupt. It's not all that sudden. Um, this past week I had a, I had a pretty cool opportunity. Um, NNU's music department hosted an instrumental concert on Friday evening. Our, our, our schedules are busy these days. Um, we got we got several sports going in different different areas. Um, that night, I actually had a, a, a soccer game to coach for my rec soccer team. Um, and so I did that. And right afterwards, I had just enough time to bolt over to Nampa and go to this instrumental concert. My daughter, Jalen, is part of part of the orchestra there. So it was fun to, to be able to, to see her make some incredible music um, there on campus. But I was reminded as I went to this concert how important dynamics are. Now, if you're not familiar with music, that's okay. Dynamics are the volume at which you play music. So, you know, some people have very loud dynamics in their car stereos when they pull up to you at the stoplight, right? They share their music with you. It's just so wonderful. Um, probably not the music that you had chosen. Um, but dynamics are, are, are the volume at which you play. And, and at times in music, there's these abrupt changes where it goes from really big and really bombastic to something very subtle, something very light, and other times where it goes from light to very loud. And there's other times in music where there's this gradual change, this gradual change going from loud to soft or soft to loud. In music, the terms used for those gradual changes of volume are, I'm going to try to get these right, diminuendo, that's gradual decrease in volume, and crescendo, this gradual increase in volume. And I want to tell you that in the Gospel of Luke, and we haven't spent as much time in Luke as, as sometimes I would like to. Year C is dedicated to, to the Gospel, and, and I kind of made this commitment to preach from the Old Testament when we were doing our Old Testament class but the whole gospel of Luke kind of builds to this point. At least much of it does. 
The previous 10 chapters point Jesus towards Jerusalem. If you look back in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, Jesus sets his sights on Jerusalem, says, this is where we're headed. And this is where we're going. And over these 10 chapters, from Luke 9 to Luke 19, he's making his way to Jerusalem. 9.51 says this, As the time approached when Jesus was to be taken up into heaven, back in Luke chapter 9 it says this, As the time approached, he determined to go to Jerusalem. And the writer just takes these 10 chapters to, to, to get him to Jerusalem. And here it is. Here is this moment in chapter 19. We just read it, we just read it as, as he arrives and he comes into this place. There's this culmination of expectation for Jesus on this journey. For, for this gospel, a writer who had spent so much time building anticipation. It, it, it's almost like a, like a footnote in chapter 9 and, and then all these stories and all this work and all this ministry that Jesus is doing builds to this moment. And here it was. This was the moment. The people pulled out all the stops. The writer explains and and tries to articulate the power of this moment. The worshipers make this statement, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord which ties back to Psalm 118, a psalm that that many of these Jews would have known that that was taught as a a messianic psalm. This was talking about the Messiah. And they were shouting this as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. This was a marker of the Messiah had come. And they say peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens, which is reminiscent of of Luke chapter 2, when when Jesus was born and the angels came down from heaven, announcing Jesus' birth to the shepherd. They said, glory to God in heaven and on earth, peace. Both pointing to Jesus as Messiah. And if the people hadn't have been there, if the people hadn't have been shouting, if they hadn't have been celebrating in that moment, Jesus says, creation would have taken over. The stones would have cried out. There's another crescendo that happens in Luke, this progression that, that sometimes we don't see, we don't, we don't pick up on it. When we just read one small section of the gospel, a lot of times we don't get this full embodied picture. David Neal talks about the progression we see throughout the book. In chapters 2 and 4, there are these these prophetic assertions that, that, that there was something special about Jesus, even when he was a baby and brought to the temple. These prophetic assertions that, that Jesus would live this incredible life. There's rumors that start up in chapter 9 from Herod's camp. Who, who is this Jesus that's going around? We're a little concerned. Um, and, and as the, the disciples share what people are talking about, do you remember when, when Jesus asked his disciples, he says, what are, what are people saying about me? Remember that? And they, they threw out all these, some think you're Elijah, some think you're a prophet. Others aren't really sure. These rumors that start to pop up. And then right after that, we have these revelations that begin to occur. Jesus says, but who do you say I am? What does Peter say? Peter says, you are the Christ. 
You are the Messiah, the one that we've waited for. There's that transfiguration moment where, where Jesus goes up to the mountainside, Peter, James, and John. And then all of a sudden there are these other figures there identified as characters from the Old Testament scriptures. And, and here we have confirmation, and yet it, it stays kind of quiet. Later in the, in the gospel, there's the blind man that, that hollers out to Jesus, Jesus, son of, son of man, heal me. And because he won't shut up, basically, the people around him are like, pipe down, the teacher's busy, he doesn't have time for you. And he just yells louder, right? And now, to this very public declaration at his entrance of, into Jerusalem, there is no question left. There's no question left of who Jesus is and why he came. The Messiah has come. This is intentional. The, the writer is drawing this story to a very deliberate point. Jesus is anointed as king and ruler and Lord in these moments. Amen? The remarkable thing being that if, if there was anyone who might have wanted to avoid this kind of entrance and avoid this kind of moment, it was Jesus. Jesus wasn't popular in Jerusalem at the moment. Jesus had caused all sorts of problems for the leaders, for the religious leaders and the, the, temple, the temple teachers in Jerusalem. We had just talked last week in the Gospel of John how, how in these moments before entering Jerusalem, Jesus hadn't been scoring points with folks there. Bringing back Lazarus from the dead made him popular with the common folks and target number one with the religious leaders who said, this can't go on. This is getting out of hand. That people are talking about people coming back from the dead being in a tomb for four days. If that was the case, if that was the environment in which Jerusalem had the opinion Jesus, uh, Jerusalem had for Jesus, Jesus should have found like this nice, quiet back door to the city, you know, on a quiet night, not much going on. Every kid knows this. When you're up past your bedtime, you walk quietly through the hallway, trying to avoid notice. Don't muddy the waters. Don't kick the hornet's nest. Just keep the peace, Jesus. I'm not Jesus. For this one moment, for this one experience, for this one time, as he entered into Jerusalem, he was lauded as Lord and praised and worshipped as he ought to have been praised. And today, when we wave the palm branches, when we join in singing Hosanna, we join that chorus and say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Today, in this moment, in this time, we're going to give Jesus his due. And we're going to praise him without shame without reservation. And that's hard for us sometimes. It's hard to get that excited on Sunday morning sometimes. We don't dance around too much around here, but we could. That some people 
worship in different styles was on full display this past week. Some of you came out to our to our um, our worship services out at Carl uh, Miller Park, and um, I got a chance to preach on Thursday. It was a, a, a glorious combination of the body of Christ. Um, but some people, some people are a little more expressive in their worship. Some people are a little louder in their places of worship, and that's okay. But it's okay for us to worship as we do as well. But today, today is that day that we get to celebrate. And to remember that for this moment and at this time, Jesus was given his due and praised in a way that he deserved to be praised. And it's good for us to join in. It's good for us to to worship in that way. And know that in this place, you have freedom to worship however the Lord leads you in whatever way is comfortable, whether it's a little more or a little less expressive. The one thing the gospel writer does in this part of the story is he kind of leaves Jerusalem out of it. I don't know if you noticed that in this whole story. It says he's at the Mount of Olives, and he's at Bethany and Bethphage near the Mount of Olives. But Jerusalem isn't really mentioned in the whole passage that I read. He brings up a lot of details surrounding it and gives us a picture, gives us an idea, helps us see in our mind's eye what's happening. But he leaves Jerusalem out of it because we stopped at verse 40. Verse 41 says this, As Jesus came to the city and observed it, he wept over it. Roger Hahn talks about how some writers call this particular triumphal entry passage not the triumphal entry, but the tearful entry. That beyond all the hubbub and beyond all the hype and beyond all the celebration and the worship that happens, Jesus as he's worshipped, enters the city and observes it and weeps. And I'm left to think today, what was the source of those tears for Jesus as he surveyed the city of Jerusalem? What I think, I think, I say that because I don't know, what I think, I think, is that he saw in stark contrast, the difference between the source of their excitement for his arrival and the reality that would come. That when they put Messiah on him, when they labeled him as Messiah, the one who had been expected for generations and generations and centuries and centuries, that came with all sorts of expectations. They didn't want Jesus as Jesus was coming, for Jesus was coming on a colt, as in a time of peace. They wanted Jesus on the war horse, entering with power, entering with authority, the conquering Messiah, the one that was finally going to kick out Rome and bring back the good old days, where we could be Israel like Israel was meant to be. And Jesus came as the suffering servant, the one who was ready to wash feet, the one who was getting ready to die. And I think that 
caused him in a moment of reflection to cry over the city of Jerusalem and to cry over the welcome he had received. I'm going to ask the praise team to come as we, we close. Um, I think sometimes we make out Jesus or we make Jesus out to be who we want Jesus to be. Perhaps this is easier for us to avoid as we enter Easter this week, right? Before we know the end of the story. We've rehearsed it time and time again, and we've heard the story of, of what's coming this Thursday and this Friday and the betrayal of Jesus and the kangaroo court that was held. But perhaps we are just as bad as those who threw their clothes out in front of Jesus turning and pressing Jesus into the mold and into the boxes with which we are most comfortable. <laughs> Jesus who looks a lot like how I would like Jesus to look. Guess what? Jesus doesn't change with our expectations. Jesus is who God created him to be. And when we press and form and fashion Jesus into how we think it, it might, might be nice for him to look, that Jesus isn't authentic, that Jesus loses the power to share and, uh, and to form us and transform us into that which God is calling us to be. When we do that, limit who Jesus is and what Jesus looks like, it's to our own detriment. For we need to worship Jesus as he comes, our Lord and Savior, the one who wants to transform us, the one who offers his life and, and washes the feet of his disciples and sacrifices himself on that cross. This Palm Sunday, may we say, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come in all your fullness. Come in all your justice. Come and have your way. And you know what we'll do? We'll worship you. We'll wave the palm branches. We'll lay down our clothes in front of you and pave the way as you come into our lives and make us into the people you wish us to be. Amen? Let me pray, and then we'll sing as we close. Heavenly Father, today I'm reminded that you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of all that we can offer. You're worthy of the, exalt, the exaltation that we can offer to you. May we jump into that. May we, may we embody that today. May, may the, the words that we sing and the scriptures that we read and the reflection that we, we have on your word, may it not be <laughs> trite, May it not be routine. May we not just not think about it and just say the words that everyone else is saying. But may our worship of you be authentic. May it be with our whole selves in a way that invites you in and, and paves the way for you to come not into Jerusalem, but into our own lives to shape us and to form us, to make us new. That's the kind of worship we want. Forgive us. Forgive us when we allow it to be less, when we allow it to be thin and shallow. 
So fill us with all of you, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Hosanna in the highest, amen? Jesus deserves that worship every day in our hearts and in our lives, and we celebrate him today. I'm going to invite you to stand. Those who are willing and able to receive the benediction, it's good to celebrate Jesus. It's also good to celebrate in our church family. Um, yesterday we had a birthday. Joy Gill had a birthday. She probably doesn't want me telling you that. I didn't ask how, how old she is, but last month the two of them had their 60th wedding anniversary, and that's something to celebrate too. So Tom and Joy... Um, congratulations, and you can, you can express your congratulations to them as well. But today, we remember, it is the day to sing Hosanna and to worship Jesus. Um, as I offer the benediction, I just invite you to extend your hands as a physical reminder that we receive this today, and it comes straight from our text. It could be nothing else. There's nothing better. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heavens and glory in the highest heavens. Amen? Amen. Amen. Go in the love of Christ. joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.